Hi, this is Tony Tolado, and this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, horror, fantasy, and comics help us explore our own humanity. And today is Dan Curry from Star Trek The Next Generation, who was responsible for a lot of the visual effects that we saw. We talked about some of the magic he created in just a moment. Here's Dan Curry sharing a little bit of a trade secret on some of the things he did on Star Trek The Next Generation in the special effects department. That features seven-time Emmy Award winner Dan Curry, who has worked on Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Enterprise. Nearly 40 items from those shows were offered for the first time in a heritage auction. We talk about the auction, plus his incredible body of work. The the auction for some of the next generation uh, items. Um, kind of talk to us about what brought you to do this. Uh, my wife and I d- decided we're going to be downsizing, and uh, we just have too much stuff, and we're trying to limit the uh, amount of material possessions we have. Uh, you realize as you get older, your possessions can be as much of a, an anchor as they are something to enjoy. Yeah. So we wanted to make it available to fans that would be would appreciate and respect what they are and uh, uh that's why we uh, put it in uh, put those items on auction that's an impressive list of items too from what i saw i mean there's a lot of cool uh, props from next gen in there uh this is true you you've been involved with star trek the next generation um, and then not to mention all the other shows right up to Enterprise. Um, right. I worked on all the Star Treks. Yeah. So uh, visual effects-wise, now, I know that there was a point where the Enterprise became something digital. I guess that must have been maybe during Voyager some sometime. Oh, no. We did have a digital Voyager, but we didn't use it very much. At the time, uh, CG technology was not producing images we were as happy with as we became later as the technology improved. So next generation, everything was shot photographically with miniatures, with only a few exceptions. One was the giant crystalline creature that Mm -hmm. kind of looked like sharp-edged tumbleweed. (laughs) Um, And the the baby creature in Galaxy's Child. Oh, yeah. And uh, a few others, but... Uh, other than that, it, and the technology was uh, state of the art at the time was shooting miniatures and doing um, video uh, compositing, and lay, we were restarted off doing one inch analog. Yeah. And then we, when D five came along, that really helped us out because mm-hmm. you could dupe generations without any image quality loss. And Deep Space Nine, we had Odo and the That's wormhole, right. and a few other things as CG, but we still used uh, miniatures for most of the spaceships. In the big space battles where we had hundreds of ships, it was Mm -hmm. physically impossible to shoot all those miniatures in the time allowed. So what we did is foreground ships were the physical miniatures, and then the background ships were CG. And there was only one CG shot of the Deep Space Nine station and the entire series, and that was the very last shot of the series because we couldn't get close enough to the brilliant model made by Tony Meiniger mm-hmm. uh, to 
pull out the window. So that was the only time we used a CG version of the of the ship. You know, and what was it like when you wor- worked on Enterprise and you knew this was when you all found out this was it? You guys were this whole group of special people weren't going to be working together anymore. We've spent so many years on Star Trek, and there were a number of us that we called the 18-year club who were on <laughs> from season one of Next Generation to yeah. the end of Enterprise. And we had become family by that time. And mm-hmm. we, many of us still remain very close friends and see each other frequently. And, uh, and it was the end of an era. It's like, as the uh, title of the, of the, uh, last episode of TNG, yeah. All Good Things Come to Pass. That's right. Um, and so we all, understood that we were part of something that was greater than the sum of its parts and that it was a global cultural phenomenon. So we all felt that we were blessed to be a part of that and our work was seen by millions of people. And for me personally, Star Trek gave me a a home where my range of goofy skills had value. (laughs) And... It's very rare on a show where there's such a high degree of cooperation between the art department, the makeup department, wardrobe, and camera. Yeah. And so there were, instead of being protective like medieval fiefdoms, as may occur on mm-hmm. some shows, Star Trek was, because of the mutual trust and respect the department had, has, mm-hmm. had, that we were able to do, me personally, I was able to do a lot of design work. And working with the great stunt coordinator, Dennis Madalone, yeah. was able to design weapons and come up with martial arts styles. And then uh, directing second unit was great. And then I had the opportunity to direct an episode, but my time commitment on overseeing visual effects made it impossible to take on whole episodes because it just took me out for three weeks. I really enjoyed working with uh, all the cast members were terrific. And so it was... Uh, a really wonderful experience, and mm-hmm. it's good to know that our work still holds up, and we were very ple- pleased to know that somewhere there's a Star Trek on it right now, and millions of people are watching it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Have you seen Discovery at all? Uh, no, I haven't had the chance to see that. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty impressive. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with it. It's a little different than what Next Gen did, but I think you know Next Gen was of the time that it aired, and I think this is more the time now. The well, we live in dark times, and yeah. uh, so I really haven't taken it upon myself to to uh, look at Discovery. So I have no opinion about it. No, I, I like it, and uh, but obviously, the regardless of anything, with the original series, Next Gen, and Voyager, and Deep Space Nine, and even Enterprise. What's cool is the themes that are core to Star Trek remained in all those shows. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, Gene passed the torch to Rick, and then Rick, uh, Rick did an unprecedented job in, uh, in doing all those shows, uh, and really continuing Star Trek for a very long time, and even into the feature films, too. So that was, uh, that's pretty amazing when you look back on all that. Well, and Rick was very, very hands on in terms of keeping on top of everything. So it was, uh, he really worked hard at it. And then no, he did. Rick, uh, also a really great guitar player. 
<laughs> I mean, was he really? Okay. Or yeah. I guess he still is. But that's great. Still is. When's the last time you saw everybody? Oh, uh, well, I saw some of the people uh, last week. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> the, it depends on who it is. Some people you know, move to other locations. Like a lot of the cast are now in, in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I run into Armin Shimmerman a lot. And uh, so they're Rene Orbergenois. Scott Bakula, we ran into not so long ago, and it was always great to see Scott. He's one of the uh, the most undemanding stars of of all. He's just a, a really great gentleman, as well as being a great talent. You know, I heard that he he actually knew the entire crew. I mean, he would take. Oh, he did. He knew everybody by, by on first name. Yeah, name that's... basis. But then again, most of the actors did too. That's Don't forget, crazy. we spend. 10 to 16 hours a day with each other. Yeah, and in the case of the uh, Every Show But Enterprise, it was seven years. So yeah. uh, after a while, you get to know everybody's name. And sure. if you don't, you're kind of cerebrally challenged. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing what how the technology has improved from there. Obviously, I don't think anybody's using models anymore in science fiction projects. Oh, they are. Um, oh, are they? Uh, for example, uh, the thing with Matthew McConaughey, what was that one? Uh, Oh, that Interstellar. Was, Interstellar. That was a miniature. Oh, it was. Oh, cool. Models haven't died. Uh, the problem is that a lot of the people that know how to shoot motion control are, have moved on to other things. So yeah. models, uh, in many ways, uh, are better at certain things than, than uh, CG, for example. When you're blowing things up, models tend to look uh, more natural. And you're still you're still pretty active. You're still working. Uh, I am indeed. I've uh, just finished a season of uh, The Gifted yes. for uh, for Fox, and uh, we have a second season beginning at the beginning of of June. And so I've agreed to go back to do another season. And in the meantime, I'm writing a book with a co-author Ben Robinson in London, ah. and uh, and the book basically traces the evolution of visual effects technology using nice. Star Trek as an example and, and my work as an example. And I don't presume to speak for the work of the other supervisors. I I feel it's inappropriate. So I fo- focus on my own work because I know how I did stuff and mm-hmm. focusing on some of the more unusual ways I would approach visual effects problems. Now, I, I tell you what, with the time constraints you got, you you all had to get this show done on a weekly basis uh, is really an amazing thing to get. It well, on. we were expected to turn out a half a feature every seven weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's amazing, isn't it? Well, the big difference with the feature and uh, and television, I've also been involved with over 100 features, is that uh, television is a sprint. You get a chance to make a decision. And yeah. you live with it, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, where a feature, you have time until the crunch time toward the end when you're close to delivery. If you don't like something, you have time to nurse it and develop it and perfect it. And the other difference is television is really the producer's medium because you have a different director for every episode. Right. And so the creative through line and stylistic consistency and thematic consistency comes from the producers like Rick Berman, mm-hmm. where a feature is all about bringing into existence the director's vision. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's exactly what that's exactly what's happened, and that's how it's evolved. Yeah, I mean the 
the showrunner is is now they just call them showrunners because that's what they are. They run the series through its course if they if they last that long or it's replaced by someone else. And uh, and directors pretty much have a say in everything we see and even the even the script. So I mean, it's just uh, that's the way the the business has become. But it's great to hear that Star Trek was a very collaborative. Uh, dare I say enterprise, <laughs> but uh, but it was. Uh, it was a, gr- a great collaboration, and uh, that's also the result of Herman Zimmerman and Richard James oh, yeah. and the other people in the art department. They were very open to, say, allowing me to design stuff that normally wouldn't happen, so I got to design a lot of the ships. Yeah. I personally designed all the CG creatures, got to uh, do martial arts work, and also, I designed the title sequences for Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I loved those. Those were awesome. Yeah, I mean, yourself and people like Michael and Denise Okuda, Rick Sternbach, uh, I mean, they just, all of you just changed uh, the look of Star Trek and, and brought it up to date from the 60s to, you know, the 24th century. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it's, it holds up very well. I've recently seen some of the uniforms and props on display and uh, it's it you know even being on a replica of that bridge uh it uh, it it holds up it really does still hold up well it's also kudos to the uh, wardrobe department Bob yeah. Blackman and his colleagues the the uniforms and other costumes were so perfectly crafted that you could walk right up to them and they were absolutely real and when we got into Star Trek Enterprise, and we uh, had the Zindi, uh, the reptilians. Uh, Bob Blackman really showed his genius with some of the alien costume designs. So they were truly remarkable. Zindis are one of my favorite aliens as far as design and look and everything. They were very alien and and, uh, and also wasn't something that Star Trek had done before. You know, and another thing with Zindis is uh, the... Uh, Insectoids and the aquatics were CG. Yeah. And it's also a testament to the skills and artistry of the, the digital artists because I would deliver a sketch to them, what I had in mind, and then they would turn it around and create these brilliant, brilliant characters that moved beautifully and Mm -hmm. they were able to do interesting expressions. And so it should be noted that, you know, there's no, single hero for Star Trek visual effects. It's It was really a team effort by gifted, technically savvy, and, and creative visionary artists with a wide range of skills, compositors, modelers, uh, animators. Um, and early on, we had, we were still doing mat shots and oils. And so people like Sid Dutton have to be mentioned for their yeah. brilliant work in designing like Sid did the uh, uh the interior of the board cube and a lot of the cool. alien cities were were Sid's work done in oils. Yeah, I think that crater too on in the best of both worlds was probably one of his works. When they uh, probably true. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, it was a perfect storm of talent in front and behind the camera and, and uh that's what made it so special and still is special. Um as far as the gifted, uh, how much time do you have as lead time as far as what you need to do for each episode? Last season was the first season, mm-hmm. and uh, everything was crunch time. The schedules were really yeah. compressed, so we were 
working 12, 14-hour days, five days a week. This coming season, things are more comfortable in terms of lead time and uh, post-production time. So we're looking to having you know more normal hours. Mm-hmm. But uh, anybody seriously considering working in the entertainment, if they want a 9-to-5 job and a normal go-home-at-6 life, uh, you need Plan B. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you there. I totally hear you there. Well, I certainly want to thank you for your time and and also good luck with this auction. I think I think those items will be will pretty much as they say fly out the room <laughs> because yeah, there's some good uh, there's some things in there that a lot of people may not be aware of mm-hmm. uh, their uh, their significance uh, historically for Star Trek. For example. I have a couple of uh, foam core uh, mock-ups of Star Trek Voyager, oh, nice. and they look unimpressive on their own, but they were incredibly important for us whenever we'd go on location, whether it's Bronson Caves or the mm-hmm. Alabama Hills and Lone Pine for things like basics. We needed those those models to bring on location because we couldn't bring the hero model with us. It was too, right. too valuable. And so this way we could take the model and line it up and see how it fit in the location. And that way the editors would have a rough before we did the final shot. Uh, so they understand where the Voyager was and what it looked like. And there's uh, one item from Next Generation, and it's the only surviving one, when we would, to make sure people's eye lines matched on the, uh, when they're having a conversation on the main viewer with the cast, I used to do with, I take a, borrow a piece of light gel from the uh, the gaffers mm-hmm. and stick it on a monitor and trace the A side with the people on the bridge with the grease pencil. Uh-huh. And then I'd mount that on a piece of foam core and cut out a little window and then line walk around until the person on the other side of the view screen looked like they were talking to the people in the drawing. Then we would just set up a, a an X on a on a stick so that uh, the actors knew where to look at the different people on set, oh. and that's how we were able to get uh, correct eye lines. And I would do that all the time, but most of the time when we're done with the scene, I just toss it. And one day I decided, well, this one's nice. I'll just keep this one mm-hmm. and saved it from the dumpster. So I, I think, you know, for a real affectionado, that would be a, a cool item to uh, possess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really talking about items that are part of Star Trek history. So I would think. A lot of collectors and that are going to, you know, jump on stuff like this. Absolutely. Well, let's see what happens. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a problem. I think Star Trek still has uh, an excellent reputation, and there's a the series is the new series is doing well and it's critically received, and and the fans have it. I've subscribed and, and watched the first season, and I I really have enjoyed it. And uh, well, it's great cast. And we'll see what they do next season, but uh, but yeah, it looks a little too modern for a prequel for me. But I'm letting them kind of tell their story. <laughs> I'm not going to nitpick. Too well, much. yeah, that's it. Like they kind of redesigned the Klingons and stuff like that, and it's like you know that's their prerogative. It's their show. Yeah, exactly right. Well, thank you, sir, for your time. I'm really glad okay. we connected. And uh, I mean, you're uh, you're a Star Trek treasure as far as I'm concerned. What you've done. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, and on this show, I mean, I've enjoyed your work for years, and it's really an honor for me to talk to you because I, you know, I always looked at special effects and stuff when I was growing up as a kid, 
and uh, and seeing and seeing many interviews with you talking about some of the magic you guys did. Uh, it really is a thrill for me to talk. To you. Oh well, thank you. Dan Curry is still working. He currently works on the TV series The Gifted. There is more Trek Tuesday. This is Tony Tolado, so stay tuned.